0: Turn, if you would, to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. That's going to be our text. We'll find our text in there. I'm prefaced a little bit this morning. As we've been working through, I don't know, a couple months now, sporadically, we've had some other messages mixed in here and there, but we've been working through a series called Sticks and Stones, and and we started with with the story of the woman caught in adultery and how how, how that, that, you know, we're, we're often told that Christians aren't to judge. And we learn from that story there, that, that truth there, for the way Jesus handled that, that we are to judge. But Scripture tells very clearly we're to judge righteously. We're not to judge unrighteously, but to judge righteously. And we're not to condemn people. Jesus didn't condemn that woman caught in adultery. But, but he, he told her, you know, neither do I con- condemn you, but go and sin no more. So he didn't just let her off the hook with with acting like her sin wasn't sin he called her sin what it was he acknowledged her sin and he told her to go and sin no more so we've looked at that part of it and then we talked about speaking the truth in love and really the thing that I hope we got from that is understanding speaking the truth in love is speaking from a place of love of motivation of love and so sometimes it, it is a Bushy conversation sometimes it's a soft conversation sometimes it's a it's a it's a it might even be an angry confrontation with someone who's pushing sin on someone else but where's the motivation the motivation is love and it's a love for God and it's a love to protect others look I don't I don't I, I'm not going to be real um loving with someone who's 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 supportive of uh of of children being abducted and sold into you know, human trafficking. You get what I'm saying here? Okay, so there's, there's not always that, that person's not going to get a very loving response. They're going to get truth, but it may not be, it's the motivation, love is for the kids. Does that make sense? Sometimes it's, we come to someone very, very compassionately and very patiently. But that was the foundation of this, and we look at issues in our culture. We've talked about uh, critical race theory, we've talked about the, the whole situation with, with, with intersectionality, worldview. We've talked about, um, uh, last week, last couple of weeks, we've been dealing with the trends, the whole transgender issue, how gender matters. And you know, this could almost be the message this morning could almost be part three to gender matters in, in that series. And so here's the title of the message this morning. OK, the joy, beauty and blessing of women pastors. OK. Okay, I'm kidding. That's not it. I wanted to see your response. I wanted to hear a response. And it, it was, about, I didn't hear any hisses, but boy, it got quiet. Y'all were like, I, we weren't expecting that. That's not, that is the joke title. That's not the title. But I thought y'all, the other morning we were having breakfast with some pastors and Glenn Rogers was asking what we were preaching Sunday. And so with about 10 pastors, there, I told them that's what I was preaching. They all went, <laughs> no, you're, you're in the wrong associational meeting. So anyway, that's the topic this morning. I want you to I want you to relax. Uh, I, I told somebody I was going to mess with you and tell you last night, ladies. We buttered you up, and this morning I was going to toast you. That's not what this That's not what this is about. Okay, that's not what this is about. We're going to look at truth. Okay, that's what we've done for. We're just going to look at truth. Look at what the Bible says about this. Now, let me ask you this question: What is truth? Is it what I feel, or is it what God says? It's what God says. A pastor's wife years ago, Gina would remember Miss uh, Jean Stevens. She said that often uh, in different situations. She said, what is truth? You know, she was a counselor. She said, what is truth? What I feel or what God says. Folks, we are, we are in an age today where people define truth as what they feel. And that, that's not how we can define truth. It, has to, it can't be driven by what I feel. Because do you, do you realize your feelings will lie to you? Your feelings will lie to you. So it cannot be about our feelings. It must be about what God says. Now, obviously, truth is what God says, regardless of what I think about it or how I feel about it. Psalm 119 verse 160 says, the entirety of your word is truth and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is true. So we we know that God's word is true. The scriptures tell us that. So this right here is our truth. This is what guides us for life. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, not part of scripture, not a scripture here or there, not buffet style looking at the scriptures, but all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Who inspired it? God. Who's the author then of the Bible? We have men who penned it, who we would call, maybe we would call them the authors, but they're not the authors. The Holy Spirit of God is the author of our scriptures. All scripture, scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. It's the Holy Spirit-breathed and told those men who were writing a told them what to say and how to say it. And it is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete... Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Folks, when we go to the Word of God, it's got the answers for everything. It's got everything we need. The Bible, listen, we believe in the sufficiency and the supremacy of the Scriptures. It's everything we need in life. It is the sole authority for us Baptists and all true believers. Amen? Amen. Heard a uh, a preacher the other day talking about this. I'll just say this. And he just gives some mealy mouth, wishy-washy answer had nothing to do with Scripture had nothing to do with Scripture on this issue. He said, well, Jesus was just, you know, Jesus just radically changed the way women were treated. Yes, He did. But nowhere do you get from that to women should be pastors in churches. Okay, we we, we don't go from here to there with no type of writing. And and so we have to be careful because the Bible is our authority. It is where we get our answers for life, okay? Okay. And so we have to obey. We must, as believers, if we believe this is our authority, then we're to obey the authority. We're to obey the truth of the Bible. But to obey the truth, we must be submitted to the truth. Amen? Now, we can can know truth. But unless we're truly submitted to that, we're not going to follow that. We're not going to implement that. So to, to obey the truth, we must submit to the truth. And to submit to the truth, we must first know the truth. And so that's what we're going to, that's the objective today, is that we'll understand this topic of women pastors. So what does the Bible say about women pastors? Hear what I'm saying. I'm not talking about women teachers. I'm, I'm talking about specifically what does the Bible say about women pastors we're talking about women in authority in leadership positions in the church the authoritative scriptural decision making of elders and pastors you with me that's our topic this morning and we want to look at what the scriptures tell us about that this morning so let's go the lord again in prayer y'all pray for me pray for me father Thank you for our time together. Thank you for our worship this morning. Thank you for a time in the Word, in our, in our small groups this morning. Lord, just thank you for a wonderful crowd that's here this morning. We have guests. We have our, uh, so many of our regular folks are here this morning. It's just a blessing to be in your house with other believers. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that you'll bless this time now as we look to your Word. Would you teach us, Lord, clearly, I pray, Father, that I've, as I've studied and prepared, that, Lord, it, it, it will come across clearly hopefully concisely that people will understand exactly what your scriptures teach us on this issue. Lord, I don't believe we have a problem in our church. I don't believe there's there's anyone in our church that would disagree with what I'm going to teach this morning. But, but, maybe there's someone in their heart they're not sure of, of the the answers they're not sure of the, the exactly where this comes from. May this be a, an educational time for us this morning, uh, Lord, because as, as we know, and you you already know, this has become a major issue in America, and it's becoming more of a, more of an issue even in our Baptist churches that that would agree with us in doctrine and yet are, are beginning to to, to uh, capitulate in this area. So, Lord, just teach us from Your Word this morning, and help us to just humbly come before Your Word to to obediently submit to it and to respond to it, and we'll praise You for that. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Now, as I said, this is this is a big issue today. It's a it's a big issue, and more and more so in the Southern Baptist Convention. This is an area that seems to be, there' are some, some parts of the Southern Baptist Convention, we are a Southern Baptist church, that some churches are beginning to slide. Some attitudes are changing on this topic. And so we, we, we want to look at the topic then, does the Bible permit, permit a woman to pastor? And that, that's an issue that's even been, been we've, we've even had to deal with that within, in our local church here. I had one lady who told me recently, not in so many words, but this is basically what she said after I shared the scriptures with her. She said she didn't care really, basically didn't care what the Bible said that God had told her to preach. That, 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 now there's a problem with that, that, that attitude. That's not coming humbly before the word of God. Another lady uh, said this, said that we wouldn't have sexual abuse cases in the church if women were pastors and elders. Okay, not just me thinking that's ludicrous. Because here's the thing. Have you noticed that sexual sin is not a man-only sin? If you've watched the news in recent years, you'll see that more and more, most of the cases that are brought forth of teachers who are molesting children, underage children, it's women. More times than not, it's women. So sexual sin is not a man issue. And, And having women pastors or women elders doesn't change that issue. So that's not even... You, 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 you talk about confiscation. You're really now going around to make a... to to totally change the conversation about something the Scriptures don't even address. It has nothing to do with that. So that's what we want to look at this morning. So it it is an issue that is prevalent, and you're going to hear more and more about it as as this continues. And you're either going to stand on the side of what the Scriptures clearly teach, or you're going to stand on the side of what people are twisting the Scriptures to try to make it say. And so there's two areas of of argument on this today. And there's two words. There's complementarian and there's egalitarian. Okay, how many of you have heard those phrases? See, see you, you want to learn this morning, don't you? Because you're like, what does that mean? So these two big words, complementarian and egalitarian. All right, so we're going to look at egalitarian first. So egalitarian, they believe that there are no gender distinctions and that since we are all one in Christ, women and men are interchangeable when it comes to functional roles in leadership and in the household. So there's men and women are are, are not just equal spiritually and I'm going to get ahead of myself, but but they're not just equal there. But there there are no roles that only a man could do or only a woman to do. It's just all the same. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar in our culture today? We just spent two weeks on gender issues, and this is a strange extension of that. That issue, when you start talking about, you know, I, I was born in the wrong body, that, that we hear that more outside of the church. That's more of what's being pushed upon the church from the outside. But inside, what we hear a lot of times now is, well, we're equal. God's made us equal. The scriptures have made us equal in this area. And so a, a woman can do anything a man can do. There's only one problem with that. That's not what the scriptures tell us. And so we're going. We're going to get to that. Now here's where they here's where they come up. So that's where it's equal. So egalitarian is 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 kind of this this idea of equal. And so they get this from primarily they take one verse and use that verse to make their whole argument. And it comes from Galatians three twenty eight. We're all familiar with this verse. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ, and, and it is abundantly clear that this interpretation does damage to the context of the verse. So you take that verse and you try to make that verse to say there's in the church there are no there's no there's no positions that only men can do there's no positions only women can do because there are no male or female we're all equal in that okay that's the argument they would make but it does it. It does damage to the context of the Scripture there. In Galatians, Paul demonstrates the great truth of justification by faith alone and not by works. Galatians 2.16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Galatians chapter 3 verses 15 through 29 Paul argues for justification on the differences between the law and the promise. And so then we come back to verse 28 and verse 29 and it fits into Paul's argument that all who are in Christ are Abraham's offspring by faith and heirs to the promise. That's the whole ...point in the context of the Scriptures. It's not, about, it's not about authority and positions within the church. It's about us spiritually coming to the Lord. Can we approach the Lord? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female... For you are all one in Christ Jesus, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's the context of those passages right there. Now the context of this passage makes it clear that Paul is referring to salvation and not roles in the church or in the home. Okay? In other words, salvation is given freely to all without respect to external factors such as ethnicity, economic status, or gender. Amen. Aren't you glad that those aren't factors that play into whether you can come to God or not? Economic factors, ethnicity, none of that plays into it. Our gender doesn't play into it. To stretch this context to also context to also apply to gender roles in the church goes far beyond and outside of the argu- argument that Paul was making here. And folks, you've got to understand this is something we say often. It can't mean for us today what it didn't mean for them then. Okay, so what it meant for them then, we, can, we, we learn that, we take that principle, and then we, we can apply it to, there's application for us today, but it can't mean something totally different than what Paul was writing about. You have to understand the context. So it can't mean today something that it didn't mean when Paul was writing it. Okay? So that's egalitarian. Now complementarian, uh, complementarians believe in the essential equality of men and women as persons. Example of that being as human beings created in God's image. But complementarians hold to gender distinctions when it comes to functional roles in society, the church, and the home. What is truly the root of, of this argument and what Many egalitarians fail to understand is that a difference in role does not equate to a difference in quality, importance or value. Do you get that? So because there's a difference in the roles doesn't mean that someone is inferior in quality or inferior in importance or in inferior in value. There is no inferior or, or superior in this, in this argument. We, we complement each other. Men and women are equally valued in God's sight and plan. Women are not inferior to men. I ask this question then, who created us? God, God created us, right? And, and so who determined what gender we would be? That's the argument we've talked about for the last two weeks. If we want to argue against, well, I'm not a man. I shouldn't be a man. Just, I've always felt like a woman. Th- then I'm denying the very fact of how God made me, right? That's what we've talked about. But, but was it by chance that you were born a male or a female? Was that just by chance? No, God God has a plan, right? He had a plan for your life long before your conception. I believe even before he moved in creation. Before he ever moved in creation, God knew you and he had a plan for your life. He knew then whether you'd be. His plan was for you to be a male or a female. Okay, so you were going to be born that way, not because of chance or or you got mixed up in another body, but that was God's plan. So first thing we got to understand is if I am a man, I am a man because God made me a man. If you are a woman, you are a woman because God made you a woman. Okay, so we should we we need to embrace that. And and uh, uh, the last two weeks we would have gone, Amen. And so we need to be going amen on that right now when we're talking about this issue because it's kind of in the same realm. We're throwing off scripture if we want to deny the roles that God has created and given to men and roles he's given to women. Amen. Amen. I'm not trying to browbeat you into that, but but I hope you amen if you're in agreement with those things. Then, why do we argue with God? Those who argue with God on this issue are no better than those who say they were born the wrong sex. It really is that kind of a situation because now we're denying Scripture. That's what they're doing. And so, we in the church sometimes, there are many in the church all across America who are denying the very truths of Scripture on this issue. It's no different than a man today saying, Well, I'm not a man, I'm a woman. It's denying truth. Church God assigns different roles to men and women in the church and the home because that is how He designed us to function. We just said He he made you a man or He made you a woman. That was His plan. That's part of His plan, and we should embrace the plan He has for us. The truth of differentiation and quality can be seen in the functional hierarchy within the Trinity. Look at it right there, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. You can write this down. It says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Who's the, man of, who's the head of man? Christ. Head of woman, too, by, in essence. But it says that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is, y'all know the verse, is Man. And the head of Christ is God. So God is above Christ. There's a hierarchy. Christ is above man. Man is not above and better, but there's a structure of authority, of authority and submission. You can go back if you're like, preacher, I don't understand this. Go back, I don't know, four, five, six months ago, I preached about, it's probably longer than that now. I preached about God given authority. And we looked at what the scriptures teach us about this. About about within the marriage, and there there are it, within the workplace, in every area of life. As we turn to, there are areas of of where we, we are maybe in the position of authority, or we're in a position of submission. And there is there is that in every area of of it's the way God has created this. We're to submit to authorities in government, as long as they're righteous and doing the right things. Then we you know there's a time when we go. I'm not going to do what the government says. I'm going to do what God says if there's a conflict there. So the Son submits to the Father and the Holy uh, Holy Spirit submits to the Father and the Son. And this functional submission does not imply any inferiority within the Trinity. Do you understand that? So within the Trinity, the three, three separate persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three are one. If anybody fully understands the Trinity, please come and explain it to me. And I'm just confessing as your pastor, I don't fully understand the Trinity, but I know it's true. The three are one. They are three distinct persons. And, and by the fact that Christ submitted to the Father doesn't in any way make Him less God. It doesn't in any way change His, his authority. It was There's authority and submission, even within the Trinity. Why would we think it would be any different for us? There are, there are authority and submission roles. All three persons of the Trinity are equally God, but they are different. They differ in their function. Likewise, men and women are equally human beings and equally share the image of God, but they have, they have God-ordained roles and functions that mirror the functional hierarchy within the Trinity. What we see within our homes, it's a picture of, of, of the Trinity. Of, ...of authority and submission in that. So now we come back to... ...we come to the verse... Uh, ...it's 1 Timothy chapter 2... And ...we're going to look at uh, verses 8 through 15... ...I'm going to read these... ...and they're going to walk through this this morning. Verse 8 says... ...I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere... ...lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting... ...in like manner also... ...that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel... ...with propriety and moderation... ...not with braided hair or gold... ...or pearls or costly clothing but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach. It doesn't get any clearer than this verse right here. Okay, this is the crux. And we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. There's Paul really says kind of the same thing there. But right here, he makes it as clear as you can get it. He says, and I do not permit a woman to teach... Now, we'll, we'll explain that. A, you're, you're, you're instantly going, well, what, what am I doing in small groups? What am I doing on, at Monday Bible Club? I shouldn't be doing that. Don't get ahead of this, okay? He says, I, I, I do not permit a woman to teach. You I understand the context of that time. They didn't have, they didn't have small groups. Their, their church was small groups. Okay, that was the home church was a small group. It was, it was them meeting together, those that were there. Their church was about getting together under the authority of the elders and the teaching, the authoritative teaching to the people. And what Paul's saying is you're, you, women are not to, to teach, they're not to be the authority teaching in that situation. Does that make sense? It, whether you like it or not, just stick with me, okay? I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. "...for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved by childbearing if they will continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control." Now, again, I referenced 1 Corinthians 14. You can write that down. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 33 through 38 deal with this issue as well of women in church and, and, and what, how, their role in church and what they should say or not say or what they should do or not do. That deals with that as well. I'm not going to get into that text today just out of the sake of time, but you can reference that in, in alignment line with this after the, the, the service. Now, you read that. And especially verse 15, you go, nevertheless, she will be saved and childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. You know, there are people who believe that it, it was salvation came through women bearing children. If they didn't bear children, they wouldn't be saved. There were those who believed that. That's a, you, you, it's, miss, it's twisting scripture. It's taking that and it's twisting it. Now, admittedly, it's a tough issue. This whole issue is a tough issue. And, and it requires some work to understand because, and because it's Difficult, And because it's hard, here's what some people say. They say, well, since I can't understand it and it's too difficult, so, so no one can really understand, so I'm just going to do what I think is right. And that's, that's what happens a lot of time. And what it is is self-justification. Well, it's, you know what, I've looked at issues and there's, there's 25 different opinions on that issue. And you know what, so nobody really understands it, so I'm just going to do what I want to do. That's not how we should function as believers. Amen? Amen? We need to search the scriptures and figure out. So let's go to the context then. Context is always important. If you read a scripture and you and, and you, you don't understand the context, you, you need to go back and understand the context of, of the scriptures. Proper interpretation requires, you know, you want to know who wrote it, who they write it to, why they write it, when they write it, what were they writing about, what were the the, the the issues going on in culture at the time. All of these things need to come in. So you got to take the context. It's always key. So the overall purpose of Paul's letter, we find it in first Timothy chapter three verse fourteen and fifteen. He says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. That's the context of Paul's letter. The overriding context right there is that we would know how we're to behave in the house of God. He's writing to men. He's writing to women. He's writing to children. How do we how are we to conduct ourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the uh, ground of the truth? So that's the, the overall purpose, the immediate context of this passage. If you begin in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul addresses conduct in public worship, particularly as it deals with public prayer. Verse 9 literally could read, verse 9 says, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. It, it could literally read, likewise, I want women to dress modestly. That, that's the way the verse could very well be written. What does that mean, modestly? Don't bring attention to yourself. Don't dress in a way that's going to draw attention. I heard, uh, I don't know if it was Alistair Begg or if it was, uh, Pastor Aaron, who's the guy that mentored you? Paul Washer. Paul Washer. I actually think it was Paul Washer. I heard Paul Washer talking about this. And he said, you know, you can have two women come into a church and, and one woman can come in and the way she's dressed and the, her apparel, people go, wow, man, she, 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 you can just see that she loves the Lord. Or you can have another woman walk in and the way she's dressed, they go, oh, wow. And there's... It, it's where do thoughts go? You know, you can't, you can't control what people think, right? But the way you dress can affect the way people think. And, 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 and it, it, it's it, 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 we should dress modestly. So when you dress, ladies, you should think about that. Guys the same way. I'm telling you, if men started wearing yoga pants around here, <laughs> y'all, y'all would go, mm, guys, uh-uh. And I'm gonna tell you, ladies. I, I'm, I'm just telling you. That's not. Those aren't. Those aren't modest. They're not modest. You, you, if you're not covered up in some way, that's not modest. And so it, it, I know they're comfortable. I used to wear biker shorts under my shorts when I rode a bike. I understand they're comfortable. I get it. But I'm not wearing yoga pants around here. Not gonna do it. Amen. amen. I finally got an amen. I like it. Um so ladies you know dress modestly think about think about when others see you what what does it make them think what are you drawing attention to and so so we want to dress dress modestly likewise uh, the word likewise refers back to verse 8. So likewise there in, in verse 9, it says in like manner. It's referring back to verse 8, and, 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 it, and, it, and, it, and it means this. It's, it's, so Paul is addressing the role of men in public worship gatherings of the church. And and so how should men behave? They are to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. This is is how we should behave in church. And so women, you should be be modest in your apparel. And it's important to understand that all of chapter 2 deals with how various people are to conduct themselves in the public worship of the church. Now let's talk about culture, as Paul's writing. It's the cultural context. Jewish women in that day were forbidden to learn. We hear today that the hierarchy, men, men it's this oppression thing. That's, it's, it's intersectionality and critical theory that's inter, that is coming into our churches. Yep. It's what it is. what I preached a few weeks ago. It's that men are the oppressors and women are oppressed. And so this whole issue of women shouldn't be pastors. It's just, it's just men keeping their power and men, men oppressing women. That's what's being sold. But And they say Paul was just, he was a, he was a sexist. Paul was an oppressive sexist. Well, look at, look, let's look at the situation of the day. Jew, Jewish women were forbidden to learn the law. In the synagogue, they, they could have no part in the service, and they were seated in a separate section or in some gallery. They couldn't even be a part of this. So, ladies, we'd have to live stream it to the fellowship hall. You'd have to sit over there because you, you couldn't be in here. And that's the context that they were in in that day. Women could not teach in a school. Jewish men would pray and thank God that, they had, that God had not made them, listen, a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Women in that day, it was an oppressive, it was an oppressive culture. The Temple of Diana in Ephesus had hundreds of priestesses who were, who were sacred prostitutes that practiced their trade every evening on the city streets respectable Greek women led a very confined life. They lived in their own quarters into which no one but their husbands were allowed. They could not appear in public alone. That doesn't sound like a great culture to be in, does it? Overall, Paul's not putting women down or lowering them to some unimportant role in the body. In fact, what we see this morning is that he actually is elevating the position of women far above the culture of his time in much the same way that Jesus himself had done during his earthly ministry. The way Paul is laying this out in women's role in church, he's elevating women greatly from from where they had been, what they had been allowed to do in the culture and everything. So now we're going to look at six issues regarding women on these verses, regarding women in the, in the worship service, in the public worship of the church. Number one is their appearance. We already looked at verse 9 uh, here again. In like manner also when the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, uh, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly things. And the word adorn there is a word that means to make ready or, or to put in order. Uh, women, and listen, men Men, for this matter, we as men are to make um, ourselves ready or put ourselves in order before the public worship time. And part of that preparation has to do with putting on appropriate clothing. Guys, we need to take note of that too. What is appropriate clothing for coming into the house of God and where we're going to be worshiping the Lord together? Dress in a way that does not distract from the worship and call attention to self. There are some women uh, who have taken this passage and gone the other extreme. And, and we've seen those who, they, they don't wear any makeup. They don't fix their hair. They, don't, they, they, they wear these long, old-fashioned dresses. And they, you know what I'm talking about. There's a very old-fashioned, that's the way we would, we would say it. And it really is the same thing to the other extreme. Because the fact is, it's going to draw attention to yourself. And if somebody came in here dressed like that today, everybody would be like, wow, man, the Amish or what? What's the, what's the deal? What's, that's what we would think. Okay. We would put some tag on them or that's what people would think because they look old fashioned. Okay. So it's just it's drawing attention to ourselves. And the scripture says we shouldn't do that. Number two is their attitude. Also in verse nine it says with propriety and moderation. The idea here is that a woman of God is humble and self-controlled. Heard that last night. Heard that in the, in the ladies thing last night that, that the, our ladies, ladies, women of God are humble and they're self-controlled. She would not desire to do anything that would distract others from worshiping God. Number three, their testimony. Verse 10, but, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. A woman who truly loves God will behave in a way that is consistent with her professed faith. That includes holding to God's design for the role of women in the church Number four, their role, their role. Now we get to verse 11 and 12 and we get back to that verse uh, that I just read that's so clear. Verse 11 and 12, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. In the Greek, it is clear here that Paul is commanding that the women are to be taught in the church. That was totally contrary to culture. That was scandalous in the culture of that day. There would have been people, the, the, the community around them would have thought Paul had lost his mind to commend this in the church. But women are to be taught in the church. They're to be there and to listen and to learn. A more literal, transla- literal translation of that would be let a woman receive instruction. Let her learn. Let her grow. As I've already pointed out, that was an incredible instruction given the cultural role of the women in that day. However, it appears that some women have over, uh, had overreached by seeking a dominant position and becoming disruptive to the public worship of the church. And Paul previously addressed that situation to the church in Corinth in verse uh, chapter 14 there, verse 35. It says, and if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. In that context, the the, the, the thought that maybe while the pastor was preaching, women were asking questions or they were interjecting or they were trying to state what they believed or thought. Paul that doesn't need to happen. There needs to be silence. The women need to be silent. If you want to ask questions, you want to learn, you ask your husband at home. That was the context of that. Women should remain silent in church. Please hear the whole thing. Some of you have already heard that and went, hmm, (coughs) hear hear me out, okay? They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at, at home for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, A, under this, their role. First of all, it is quite clear that Paul is not saying that women can never uh, teach or be teachers within the body of believers. Paul's not teaching that. Do you understand that Scripture here will never conflict with Scripture here? You have to understand that. And so when we take that Galatians verse that so many want to use, they have to throw out a whole lot of scripture that that speaks to very clearly that women aren't to be pastors. They're not to be in authority over men. They're not to be in those authority positions. They have to throw all that out to take one little verse. But we also have to understand that here what Paul's talking about when he talks about that a woman is not to, to speak. They're not to speak. He's talking about this position right here. The authoritative pastor or elders, the, the spiritual authority in the church, feeling that right now this is an authoritative thing to proclaim the Word of God from this pulpit. Women were not to have this role. That is not what women were to have. But it was not to say that women cannot teach or to be teachers. Okay, Titus 2.3, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine. Teachers, teachers of good things, that they admonish. Uh, One of the words for admonish, there's there's the idea of correction, but there's also the word, the the idea there of teaching. To admonish someone is to teach them. So the, the women, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So... What's a situation where women should teach? They should teach other women. That's what it should be. Other women. We have a we have a ladies te- we have a couple of ladies teachers over here at, in small groups. Miss Benna and and and, and uh, 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 Lori. Y'all just don't know how hard it is. The fear that strikes me when I have to call a name. There's times. Wherever Gina went, she, she's had enough of this message already. <laughs> there are times I can't call her name. That's a brain freeze that I get, and it's a fear strikes me when I go to call a name. Just know that. Sorry, Lori, I, you know I know your name, but... So women are to teach women, okay? Hold on. <laughs> this is what it said about being silent. Acts 18, verse 24 through 26. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught uh, 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 accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. This is a complicated scripture, too, because it sounds like he knew everything, and then it sounds like he didn't know anything. Does it to you guys when you read that? It sounds like, boy, he knew everything, but he really didn't know this. He didn't know a lot. He just knew the baptism of John. But he knew he was... It's, it's strange. We'll understand. Verse 26 says, So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. He was a passionate guy. I take it as a, a guy that he loved the Lord. He had learned some things. And and God had put on him a call to preach and proclaim the truth. And he's proclaiming truth. But there's some things he do not know yet. And And if you've ever heard young preachers, there's sometimes... Young preachers will, will, will be very, very confident about things that they really don't know. Aaron, Pastor Aaron, you know, you've seen it. Uh, we probably did it, right? And we were very confident. We were confidently incompetent at one time. Um, so he, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla, now you have a couple here, believers, heard him. They took him aside. They took him aside and explained to him, the way of God more accurately. And they explained, and it means present and explain a, a theory or idea, idea systematically and in detail. So, really, kind of what they did, they took him aside and they did some discipleship with him. He, he knew some things, but they helped him. It wasn't just Aquila, it was also Priscilla. Okay? So, you had a couple there, but you gotta understand, Priscilla there is under Aquila's spiritual authority you get that? They're, 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 she, she's, not, she's not pulling him aside and going, hey, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you how it is. The, the, as a couple, they taught. And, and I'm going to tell you, there's some, there's some couples in our church that, man, it would be fantastic for them to disciple somebody. As a couple. Because there's great knowledge together, right? But it's, under the, it's, it's still under authority. So there, that's a situation where she's teaching. Another in 2 Timothy 1.5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first, and this is Paul writing to Timothy, dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So Timothy's talk, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he's talking about you know this genuine faith that he had, that he knows where it came from. It came from his 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 grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Pouring into him, teaching him, discipling him, introducing him to Christ, basically. And then in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. So who was teaching Timothy? Mom and Grandma. So the women were teaching. They were teaching the children. They were teaching the children. So you are correct. So there there are plenty of situations and opportunities for women to teach within the church context, not as pastor. Secondly, neither Paul nor the New Testament in general treat women as spiritually inferior. Jesus first revealed that he was Messiah to a woman. He, He healed women. He was ministered to by women. He first revealed himself to a woman after his resurrection. That women were not treated as inferior for him to reveal himself first to women and tell them to go tell others. I mean, that was that was radical. That was radical. He didn't treat them as inferior. And let, let's go back then to, to Galatians three twenty eight. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Are we all one in Christ Jesus? Spiritually, we're equal. We're equal. God doesn't love me more because I'm a man or love Gina less because she's a woman. We're equal. We're able to come to Him spiritually and have the same relationship with Him. But spiritual equality does not trump the different God-given roles. Go back to verse 11. Paul lays out the general principle. Women are to learn in quietness and full submission. Then in verse 12, he he interprets what he means. A, a, A more literal interpretation of verse 12 would be, I do not permit a woman to be a teacher. Okay? It's this spiritual authority. In other words, Paul is not prohibiting women from teaching under appropriate, under appropriate circumstances, but he is prohibiting a woman from holding the authoritative role of teacher within the local body. Th- this is the role of teacher, what I'm in, what Raymond is in, what John is in. We are elders, we are teachers, we're, we're pastors, teachers, elders, okay, Taken together, the general principle seems to be that women are not to fulfill the role of the authoritative teacher as it relates to the doctrine of a local church body. Let me say that again. Taken together, the general principle seems to be that women are not to fulfill the role of the authoritative teacher as it relates to the doctrine of a local church body. That role is specifically reserved for the elders of the church, a role the Bible is very clear that only men are eligible for as, as elders. They're the only eligible to be elders as men. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. See if you catch anything in these verses as I read them. This is a faithful saying. Now this is talking about desiring the office of a bishop. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the, the, the position of a bishop or overseer or pastor, he desires a good work. A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, Temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, not gentle, uh, but, uh, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission uh, with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how then will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up. With pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, is there anything that stands out to you in that passage? It's there's no she's in there, and if and if and if God, God doesn't make mistakes as he wrote this, it wasn't like oh man, I use the wrong pronouns. <laughs> I should have known they were going to have pronoun issues in 2023. No, because the role, that role of elder, of overseer within the church is a role that is specifically for men. So are we sexist to go, well, only men can be in that position. God defined it. God made me a man and made you a woman if you're a woman. Take it up with God. If he wanted you to do that role, he would have made you a man. Is that, does that make sense? I'm not, I'm not trying to be harsh at all. But the, the, those that are pushing against it, well, I'm, let me just continue. This interpretation of women as being excluded from eldership is confirmed by some irrefutable facts. If we go back to the Old Testament, you never find a female priest. You never, you never find a female who was an authorized king. Yes, there were some women that God used in the Old Testament in incredible ways. But that doesn't exempt... Listen, if men aren't stepping up, there are churches all over America that men aren't doing a thing. That's right. And when men step back from their responsibility, somebody has to step up and do it. Right. And it doesn't mean it's the right thing, but if, if nothing else is going to get done and the women have to step up and lead, then they step up and lead. That's the fault of us men for not doing our job as leading the way we're supposed to. And, when, and whenever that happens, there's going to be problems. There'll be problems in that church. There'll be problems in a nation when men step back from leading. I don't care what it is. When that, it's the God-given authority. In the New Testament, no woman, there was no women apostles. There were no women pastors. There were no women elders. Not one book in the Bible was written by a woman. Does that mean women are, are inferior to men? No. There are women in this church who are smarter than I am. There are women in this church, I guarantee you, there's a couple of women in this church at least that probably know the Bible better than I do. There are, there's that, it's not about that. It's about what God has put as the, these requirements. And we can all serve within what God created us to be and to do. Amen? Amen. Jesus could have settled this controversy at the very beginning by appointing Mary Magdalene as apostle. Right? I mean, if he wanted women to be in those positions, he could have easily made Mary Magdalene a disciple and an apostle. He didn't. Paul, nor any of the apostles, ever chose a woman to be an elder of the churches they founded, though they could have easily done so. And there were women who, who, if they wanted to have a woman as one of those positions, they could have. There were women that were sharp, faithful, loved the Lord. Amen? Amen? It's not their role. There were many godly and capable women available, but none was ever put in the, in the position of, of, of uh, office of elder. Number five, their design. Chapter 13, uh, verse 13 and 14, 1 Timothy chapter 2. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. These verses make it clear that Paul's instruction in the previous verses is not merely a matter of culture. His instruction is based on the divine order that God established at creation. The word first there in verse 13 is a word that means First or chief in order. Okay? First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse three, and then verse eight and nine says this, verse three. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head uh, of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. We already read that. Verse eight says, For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. There is a created order that God established Right back there at the very beginning in Genesis, God created that order. And we must all submit to the God-given, God-ordained structures of authority. Number six, their burden. Now, I'm going to tell you, women carry a burden. They carry a burden. It's a, strong, it's a, it's a difficult burden. So, the, And the burden ties in with this. So the question is, where does this issue stem from? Where does this problem come from? In a 2017 survey, it revealed that 80% of Americans are comfortable with women pastors. There has been a huge change in our culture this way. Huge change, as you're looking at. Huge change. 62% of practicing Christians uh, are open to female pastors. 42% of evangelicals are fine with it. Now, we would be evangelical. There's other branches of evangelical that right now have husband and wife pastors, co-pastors. They pastor together. Uh, even some of our Southern Baptist churches have began to ordain some women as pastors. Uh, Saddleback has gone that way. Well, they're no longer Southern Baptist. They've been kicked out, and rightfully so. Uh, they haven't been Southern Baptists for a while. 50% today, 50% of MDiv students are women training to be pastors. In 1960, 2% of clergy were women. Today, 27% of pastors in America are women. John MacArthur said this, he said, women pastors in churches is perhaps the most obvious sign of churches rebelling against the Bible. This is a woman's rebellion to the Word of God. They openly oppose the Word of God. Amen or oh me? Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 3. Now, what is this burden? And I, I'm, I'll be, I'm getting close to wrapping up here. Genesis 3. Eve comes out from under Adam's authority and his protection. And we go back and look at that. She really did. As, as Satan comes into the garden and he's he's tempting her, she 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 could have easily said, you know, shut your mouth, I'm not having this conversation. She came out from under Adam's authority. And and she sins. She was deceived. She was deceived and she sins. Then Adam comes along and Adam sins. Um, you know, and MacArthur said it this way. He said, Adam, Adam sinned because he was in love. He wasn't deceived, but, you know, he was in love and, and he couldn't do without her. And so he went along. And, and so, but she was deceived and fell in sin. So then we have the curse, you know, with the fall. And Genesis 3.16 says this, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now, there's, there's not a comma right there. That's a, 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 I don't know if it's a colon or semicolon. I wasn't good with English. I, I wasn't very good with the English. So um, it's the one that looks like a wink. It's the point on top and the comma on the bottom, which means this. It doesn't mean it's a What is it? All right, semicolon. It's that one. If you're not careful how you do it, you end up with a little smiley face on your, in your text. Well, What that means is this is a, it's a different thought. It's not a continuation of what was just said, so it's a different thought. And here's what, what the Scripture says. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, this is not, uh, th- this is not about sexual attraction. It's not, God had already told them to be fruitful and multiply. Already t- told them. They, they, they were going to be attracted to each other. This is not God now a part of the curses where you're going to be attracted to your husband. That's not what this is. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. This curse is that she has a desire toward her husband and he has to rule over her. Not sexual, but in authority. Your desire shall be For your husband. It's a a, a desire to have his authority, to usurp his authority. Look over at Genesis chapter 4, verses 5 through 7 say this But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Now, this phrase here, and its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. It's the, same, it's the same phrase. It's the same phrase. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. He tells Cain, and its desire, sin's desire, is for you, but you shall rule over it. Same phrase, sin lies at the door, and its desires uh, is for you. She desires to rule her husband, to not submit, to usurp the divine authority. It's a a sinful desire to control. And this is why women try to overthrow their husbands. Do you know what happens? Amen? There are women who want to rule in the home. They're not going to submit to a man in the home. That's not biblical, ladies. Your husband is the spiritual leader in the home. You're equal. You're equal. But he's first among equals. He is the spiritual authority in the home. You are to submit to your husband. You're not to rule over him and to be the boss and want to take charge. And and that is is part of the curse. And it is something that women will have to, you'll have to battle with. That's where, that's the sin that women want to usurp in the home and usurp in the church. That's where this comes from. That's where this desire to be the pastor, to be the boss, to be, I want to be an authority. It goes all the way back to the garden. So the bottom line is this. Women are not given the role of final decision on doctrinal issues. They're not to be the authoritative teachers of the church, meaning the pastor or elders. Women may teach and, and pray as part of the public worship of the church as long as they do it under the authority of the elders. We, we have women speak in church. If I, didn't, if I didn't believe women could speak in church, I wouldn't let Lynn up here this morning. Ms. Lynn came up. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have our ladies ever speak. We have ladies pray on Wednesday nights. They can, they're, they're, women can pray. I've had women go, no, preacher, I can't say anything in here. Yeah, absolutely you can. But your job is not to fill this pulpit and to be the authoritative presenter of God's Word. It's simple. It's simple. We should all share the gospel, amen? amen. Now, to preach is to what? It is to teach. But what are you teaching? You preach God's Word. So when we preach, to preach is to tell people about Jesus. So can women preach in that sense? Absolutely. We should be preaching. All of us should be out preaching. We should be telling everybody about Jesus. We should be proclaiming. We should be gossiping about Jesus. It'll save save somebody a whole lot of grief if you'll just gossip about Jesus. Get off somebody else's back. Amen? Amen? And we we should all pray. And to pray is to tell Jesus about people. So we got two things all of us should do. Man, woman, boy, girl. We should preach and pray. We should tell people about Jesus, and we should tell Jesus about people. Amen? That's our roles. And for people who don't believe this, then write down 1 Corinthians 14, verse uh, 36 through 38. Go read that. Paul says this. Did the Word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. What Paul has written, he says, I didn't write this on my authority. This is from God. If you have an issue with this, take it up with God. Because this came from him. These instructions of how things are to be done in church are from him. Pastor Aaron, you can come. Jim, come on up. Now, I had several people say, Preacher, I'm praying for you. I know it's going to be a difficult issue Sunday. I don't think it was issue, uh, difficult. It wasn't difficult for me. I'm going to tell you why. Now, there are some churches that would have been difficult to preach in. You know what I mean? I might get stoned before I could get out of here. But here's what I know about our church. I know our church loves the Word of God, believes the Word of God. Now, I don't think I, don't, I would be surprised if there was a single lady in here who had issue with this before we came in today. But there's, but there's a lot of... We're hearing more and more about this. You need to know what is being said, what is being twisted, what does the Scripture say about this issue. So when you're faced with it, you can speak the truth in love. Amen? Amen. All right. So I, 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 I really... I, now, I may get blessed out before... before somebody's going to stick around this morning. It'll be the morning where the last person here will be, Preacher, I need to talk to you. Okay. All right, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Here's what matters. Do you love the Lord? Do you know the Lord is your personal Savior? Have you ever truly confessed yourself a sinner because we're all sinners? Scriptures are clear on that. We're all sinners and come short of the glory of God. And if you've never confessed yourself a sinner to a holy God, If you've never repented of your sin and called on the name of Jesus to save you from your sin, then today you're lost in your sin. If you die in that condition, lost in your sin, you'll spend eternity in a real place called hell, forever separated from God. So this morning, the most important thing, don't get get distracted by should women be pastors or not. Your, your, Your thought this morning should be, do I know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior or not? And if you know the Lord as your Savior... You know what? We learn and we grow and we, and we continue to, to, to get closer to the Lord. But this morning, if you don't know Jesus, there's nothing else that matters this morning. There's nothing more important. There's nothing in your life more important this morning than do you know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, then I'd invite you. In fact, this is what we're going to do, Pastor, and I want you to sing. I want you to just sit with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. I want you to be in an attitude of prayer. If there's anyone this morning, if you need prayer, if you say, Pastor, I I need somebody to pray for me, I want you to come to the altar when we have this prayer time. Some of our ladies, some of our ladies that maybe if there's ladies that come down, if you'd come and pray with them. If there's men, some of our men will come down and pray with you. If you need prayer this morning, we'll come pray with you. But if you want to talk to somebody about the Lord Jesus, I'm going to be standing right here say, Preacher, I need to be saved today. And I invite you to come down. Father, I pray you'll just bless and move in this time of invitation. That you'll have your will and way. May we respond, God, not just to what we've heard, but to what, not, not what we've heard from me or from the, even from the Word this morning, but from you, what you are speaking to our hearts right now. May we respond to that. May we be obedient to that. May we move. Uh, as, as based on that, in Jesus' name, Amen.